This is Dr. Rob Harder with the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, making your world better. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? What are the biggest challenges? What are the biggest obstacles? How should nonprofits fundraise in an economy that is constantly changing? All of these reasons combined led me to start this show. And it's my hope that through this series, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear from effective leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy the show as together we hear how they are making their world better. This podcast is sponsored by DonorBox. DonorBox, helping you help others with the best donation forms in the business. Well, through the current Russian-Ukrainian conflict, there has emerged several heroic and inspiring acts of both sheer courage as well as enormous compassion. One of those acts of compassion was when families in Poland started taking in Ukrainian families fleeing the conflict. They would also hire Ukrainians for jobs in Poland. They flung their collective doors wide open to welcome thousands of Ukrainian refugees. And not only did this inspire people around the world, but many people were motivated by this example in Poland to do what they could to help with this growing humanitarian crisis. This is the power of good. When people do good things, when they do compassionate things, I think it inspires others. My guest today is doing good things, important things, specifically as it relates to the displacement of individuals around the world because of climate change. My guest today is Jocelyn Wyatt. She's the CEO of the global humanitarian organization, Alight, which is working hard to effectively and compassionately respond to this mass displacement of so many people worldwide. Enjoy today's show. Well, Jocelyn, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Absolutely. Likewise. Well, you bring a lot of experience in the nonprofit sector, particularly as it relates to global nonprofits. So I thought I'd start out today by getting your input on climate change. So let's just start with this. What does climate change mean for the future of humanitarian aid from what you are seeing and all the experience you've had so far? Great question. So in the past, we have really focused, I think, in the space of, of displacement and, and organizations like ours working in humanitarian aid and working with refugees on conflict-related displacement, things like war or at times social or economic exclusion. But I think what we're recognizing more and more is that so many people around the world are displaced as a result of climate change, and that is only going to grow over the coming years and decades. So we, we're seeing that just in the past decade, weather-related events have triggered an average of about 21.5 million new displacements each year, which is actually more than twice the number of people displaced due to conflict and violence. So wow. this is... That's yeah, a huge number. Is, it's a huge number. And that number is only going to grow with time. And so you know, as an organization that is working in humanitarian aid and working to partner with and serve displaced people and refugees, we see that we need to be both helping people find ways to be able to stay at home and in their communities, even in the face of things like droughts or floods. But also we recognize that we're going to need to support people on their journeys as they do need to leave homes, as the places where they live are uninhabitable. We need to make sure that they have the protection and care that they need on those journeys and that the places that they land are places that they can really build homes and send their children to school and have ample livelihood opportunities to be able to provide for their families. 
Oh, I love that. Yeah. I mean, these numbers are pretty staggering. In fact, I read the stat that, and you kind of already referred to it, there are over 100 million people who have been displaced globally, and it's estimated to grow up to 1.2 billion people by 2050. I just wanted to restate that for my listeners. That's huge. That is a ton of people displaced globally. And again, because of climate change issues, in light of this, organizations and governments must be open to innovative and inclusive approaches to support this growing population. So what have you seen to be the most effective strategies really to serve and help these displaced individuals? And so Alight is really working to play our part in this. We are working with more than 4 million displaced people each year. We do that in over 20 countries. And we really work with people along their entire journey to create meaningful lives that are filled with dignity and connection and purpose. We really refer to people that we are working with as, as our customers. We work for our customers. We don't talk about them being our beneficiaries because it's really important for us that we are providing and on the hook to provide high quality services and resources, accommodations and programs. And that we really focus on not so much providing a handout, but really a, a hand up in terms of the work that we're doing. And so you know, we see that we need to move beyond just these sort of emergency band-aid solutions. Of course, that's really critical, providing that sort of life-saving health care or nutrition support. But that really what's important is that we're able to work with people to understand what is the vision and the desire and opportunity that they see for their lives and the lives of their families. And how can we work on that as well? And so, the work that Alight does is really, we do provide those sort of basic services that access to water, food, shelter, and healthcare in refugee camps and settlements for internally displaced people, but that we are really working to co-design solutions with the communities that we partner with. And so often the things that we hear people say that they want us to, to help them with are much more around access to education for their children or livelihood opportunities, ways for them to make money. They want to be able to, to buy the things that they need as opposed to waiting for, for someone to, to provide them with a handout. Being in the nonprofit space, one of the biggest questions I get is about grant funding. Nonprofit leaders know that grants can be a very important part of their overall revenue. But knowing how to write grants well and where to find them can leave many of us overwhelmed. Well, it's a good thing my friend Holly Rustic at Grant Writing and Funding creates ways to make grant writing simple and achievable. Well, here's the good news. She is offering you, my listener, a free grant writing class. And of course, she also has her own podcast, Grant Writing and Funding. So I encourage you to visit grantwritingandfunding.com slash Rob for the free grant writing class and find out more about Grant Writing and Funding podcast. Once again, that's grantwritingandfunding.com slash Rob. Right. No, well said. And from your experience, how can we rebuild and help our communities adapt in ways, really, that include and honor everyone, including the most vulnerable, who often, you know, fall through the cracks? You often mention going and using a human-centered approach. So maybe you could talk about that a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. So my background is prior to joining Alight, I was a co-founder and CEO of IDEO.org, which is a nonprofit design and innovation organization. And so IDEO is a real sort of pioneer in the human-centered design field, which really is about starting with your customers and understanding what their wants and needs are, 
And from there, really developing a, a set of insights and opportunities, brainstorming solutions, prototyping different possibilities, and really refining them again with that customer feedback till we get to a place where we have solutions that can really be scaled because we know that they're really grounded in those customer insights and feedback along the way. And so Alight has been a longtime partner of idea.org and has really embraced that approach of human-centered design and co-creation. And so what that means for us is really having a staff at Alight that is well-versed in the tools of human-centered design and in co-creation which really means that all of the services that we're delivering, all the programs that we offer have been co-created with refugees and internally displaced people and the local communities that surround them. And so for us, it's really important to really start by understanding those customers and really generating new solutions with them. So one example of that that we have is, is the guides program that Alight runs. So a number of years ago, we conducted 500 interviews with displaced people and refugees around the world. So we spoke with, with Syrians who were in Europe and Congolese that were in Rwanda uh, and, and, you know, Sudanese that were in, you know, different parts, displaced in different parts of the country. And, and through those conversations, realized that one of the things that people were really lacking was these sort of guides in terms of helping them understand or navigate, you know, now that we've been displaced, what are the opportunities that we have and where can we go and how can we get the services and support that we need? And so when the war in Ukraine happened and Alight started to, to stand up a program and provide sort of immediate support in Poland and, and in Ukraine, we sort of went back to some of those insights and determined that we wanted to really test out what that type of guide program might look like and what would it mean to have Ukrainians on our team that were really able to provide that support to people that were fleeing Ukraine into Poland and really help them on their path and, and help them get settled. And so we did end up hiring a team of Ukrainians who could provide that support. And they were, have been meeting people at the border crossing points and the reception centers and the train stations and really asking them a few simple questions, which was really, you know, to share a little bit about what their journeys were and what their needs were. And one of the things that we were able to offer was short-term housing. And so we had a partnership with Airbnb.org. And so the guides, when, when they would hear that people's needs included short-term housing or accommodations, were able to provide them access to three 30-day stays at really lovely apartments and houses in Poland and really all over Europe and beyond. And so that program, for instance, I would say was sort of a result of insights that Alight had developed with our customers and then really co-created with the Ukrainian guides that we hired as well as with the Ukrainians that we were meeting along the way. So we were constantly refining and building out that program as we learned more and more about the needs of our customers. No, it's interesting. You've already been mentioning this at a light, but I understand you really are seeking to help spearhead a new era of innovation is what I know your goal has been when it comes to humanitarian aid to meet this unprecedented challenge of climate displacement and forced migration. Any more examples of what you're finding that's really unique that you've been able to see an impact that you're doing there at a light? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think, I, I do think that the but the insights that we have about people and our ability to sort of get to those insights is helping us design really effective programs. So 
Another example that that I can point to is is work that we've been doing in Somaliland. So Somaliland is a part of Somalia. Somalia in the Horn of Africa has been experiencing massive droughts and food insecurity as a result of these droughts for the last, you know, four or five years. These droughts have been pretty cyclical and are just continuing to get worse and worse. And what we've seen is that these families who have been historically pastoralists and nomadic herders for many generations, their livestock has all died, you know, hundreds of animals for each of these families. And I had the opportunity last September to spend some time in Somaliland and was able to meet a number of women who had recently moved into the outskirts of Hargeisa, which is the capital of Somaliland, because they no longer had access to a livelihood that they once had their their flocks of, of sheep and cattle and camels had all died. And, and so they were in a position where they needed to find new livelihoods. And so what we have been able to do is to partner with the mayor of Hargeisa, with local private sector companies, with local grassroots organizations to really say, let's come together and redesign what that settlement looks like for newly arriving families. And so part of that is really working on new housing options and financing for housing so that people can really have their own homes and have those be dignified and comfortable homes. We're working on providing livelihood opportunities and training to help particularly women really say like, okay, how do I use those skills that I gained as a herder, as a tradesperson or as an entrepreneur? And, and how can I do something new in this context? We're working on, you know, providing adequate and, and quality health services to families as they arrive and to make sure that women continue to have access to reproductive health and maternal and newborn child health, et cetera. And then really working on things like sanitation systems and access to water and, you know, providing fencing to, to keep livestock in so that the, the livestock are contained. And so, you know, that's sort of another example of by gaining those insights, by having those conversations with new arrivals, with people that had been in the settlement for many years, we're able to design much more sort of holistic systems that would really provide for better opportunities for these families but also really leverage their existing partners on the ground, the local government and the local private sector and the local civil society in, in partnership with an organization like Alight uh, to really be able to, to develop much more sort of holistic and high quality sort of community or, or settlement for, for folks that were new arrivals in this area. We'll be right back. Are you looking for an easy and effective way to boost your nonprofit's donations? Look no further than DonorBox, the online fundraising platform that streamlines your fundraising efforts, maximizes donations, and simplifies giving for your supporters. With DonorBox, you can create beautiful donation forms, accept digital wallet payments, track donations, and send auto receipts. And the best part? There are no setup or monthly fees and no long-term contracts required. So what are you waiting for? Visit DonorBox.org today to get started. That is www.donorbox.org. Do you want a clear step-by-step system to write grants so that your nonprofit secures funding in a stress-free manner? Well, check out the free grant writing class, How to Write Winning Grants in Seven Proven Steps. You will walk away with seven nuggets of grant writing clarity and a free action workbook so you can start writing higher quality grants today. 
Just watch this free class now at grantwritingandfunding.com slash Rob. Again, that's grantwritingandfunding.com slash Rob. Well, it seems like one thing I'm very impressed with is you've really, when you provide the support, you're building these welcoming communities and you really help refugees build lives of dignity and abundance. Now, here's a question that we're kind of going beyond the good work you're doing to more of like a broader question when it comes to our community and our, our countries, really. When it comes to the issue of refugees specifically, how do you think we get beyond this being just a political issue for many people and really start addressing this across the board as a humanitarian issue? What have you found to be successful in really getting that message across? That can really, at the end of the day, this is a humanitarian issue. It's not a political issue. What are your thoughts on that? I do think that the more opportunities Americans in particular have to meet people from other countries, refugees or, or migrants or, you know, what we sort of call new arrivals, the more human it becomes and less political it is. And so, you know, one of the great initiatives under the Biden administration has really been opening up opportunities for people to come into the U.S. through these models of private sponsorship. And so what private sponsorship allows is for private citizens to be able to really open up their homes, their lives, their wallets, to really sort of show the generosity by coming together and sponsoring refugees. And so there's been so much through welcoming that we have seen happen when Afghans came to the U.S. in, you know, towards the end of 2021 and into 2022, in the fall of Afghanistan. We saw that again with Ukrainians and the United for Ukraine program, which again allowed Americans to sponsor Ukrainians to come to the U.S. And we've just seen such generosity in terms of that. And then more recently through sort of the new, what's called the new parole program, which are really focused on Cuban, Haitian, Nicaraguans, and Venezuelans. Again, we've just seen, you know, tremendous numbers of people who are saying, yes, we want to sponsor. And so sometimes that's family members, other times that is strangers. And then the new, the newest program is Welcome Corps, which is, I've just recently started bringing people to the U.S. with a start bringing in refugees from Africa. And that will expand as well. But in any of these cases, I think what we're really seeing is that the more people have opportunities to meet their neighbors or meet a family that has recently arrived that in their community, the more they're sort of seeing them as humans, they're making those connections, they are showing their generosity and are saying, you know, family is really adding to my community or to my neighborhood or to my kid's school or whatever it is, and not sort of being so concerned about them, what they might be taking or distracting from the community. No, great example. And maybe there's a couple other examples when it comes to countries and nonprofits working together specifically to effectively and compassionately respond to this displacement of people worldwide. Who are the people that are really doing it right, you feel like? Who can we look to as a positive example or two? I mean, I think Canada has really shown itself to be a great example. Canada has really pioneered this model of private sponsorship. I think we have seen that you know, Canadians have been doing this for decades now and as a result have welcomed in, you know, very large numbers of refugees over time. It's also really built a really unique social fabric in the country and people really appreciate that as well. And so I think what Canada has also really shown the research on this program is that the the benefits are not just for the new arrivals and those families, but 
are so much felt by the sponsor groups and by the families that are touched by the lives of welcoming in new people. And so I think that's part of, you know, really telling that story in the U.S. as well. And, and what does it mean? How can it be transformative to your life as a sponsor, not just for the, the family coming to the U.S.? I also think what we saw in Poland after Russia's attack on Ukraine was just was really unbelievable. I think what we saw was Polish families were opening their homes to Ukrainians and, you know, employing Ukrainians and, you know, welcoming them into school and teaching them, you know, teaching them Polish. And, you know, when I had the opportunity to spend some time in, um, in Poland last spring and summer, related to a white Ukraine response. I mean, just the number of Ukrainian flags that you saw all over Poland was just unbelievable. And so it was just clear there was just such an outpouring of support and camaraderie and, and, and generosity from the Polish people, from the Polish government, for their neighbors, the Ukrainians. That's such a great example. And I appreciate both of those examples of Poland and Canada. It is always interesting when countries really step up how it inspires others to do the same, even if it's in small ways. I mean, I felt like when I heard about what Poland was doing, it felt like even people from America, now often it was individuals or or maybe some nonprofits that really said, oh, well, we should do something. If they're doing that, we can do this. So it's fun how a good act of kindness on a large scale can really motivate others people to do the same. Any other last thoughts in terms of what you're finding to be maybe on the one hand, the biggest challenges you're facing, but also some of the great opportunities you're seeing too on a worldwide scale? I mean, I think we're seeing just the sort of famous note around generosity. I think we're seeing this even in some of the poorest places in the world. So, you know, we see that countries like Sudan have both have massive numbers of internally displaced people. And, you know, now with the war in, in Sudan, are seeing, you know, people leave Sudan as refugees and also have been incredibly welcoming to refugees from neighboring countries. So I had an opportunity to spend some time about a year ago in Sudan and visited a refugee camp, a couple refugee camps where Alight is working in Eastern Sudan. And Eastern Sudan has welcomed in Tigrayans from Ethiopia. And and the host communities in the sort of the eastern part of the country, even though, you know, most of them have such limited resources themselves, said, yes, we can put aside some land, we can, we can welcome in new people, and we recognize that you are unsafe in your country and you can come and live here. And so, you know, as, as a result, there's been sort of this exchange where organizations like Hawaii are able to say, okay, we have the resources, you know, funded by the UN or funded by the U.S. government to provide health services and, and around these refugee camps. Let's place these health clinics on the sort of outskirts of the refugee camp and welcome in the host communities to ensure that that sort of peace maintains, right? So that the host communities are saying, look, we benefit by bringing in these refugees because now we have health services where previously we didn't. So I think that's one example. Now we're sort of seeing on the other side that Ethiopia is welcoming in Sudanese, that Sudanese have had to flee as a result of a more recent conflict. And so I think these situations, you know, I think we think about refugees going from places like Syria to Europe or from Afghanistan to the U.S. And that's certainly a big piece of the trajectory. But at the same time, actually, the majority of refugees are going from places like South Sudan to Sudan or Sudan to Ethiopia or Ethiopia to Sudan, you know, and and in any of those places, we're just seeing, you know, some of the world poorest communities and poorest countries and poorest people are actually the most welcoming and most generous to people from neighboring countries that are coming. 
Well, this has been fascinating. Thank you for all you're doing on a global scale, again, to really serve those who I feel like are most vulnerable in many ways across the globe. How can people, and my listeners specifically, connect with you, learn a little bit more about Alight, as well as what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. We would love to connect with listeners. There's a few ways to do that. Our website is wearealight.org, so W-E-A-R-E-A-L-I-G-H-T.org. We have an Instagram page at We Are Alight. I can be found through LinkedIn at Jocelyn Wyatt or on Instagram at Jocelyn Wyatt. So any of those ways on our website, we have a mailing list. Definitely encourage people to sign up for that. Well, again, well, thanks for all your work serving people. And then thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to be on the show today. You're welcome. Thank you so much for the great questions. Really appreciated the conversation. Hey, friends. Well, I wanted you to know that this podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen to other podcasts. I also want to encourage you to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. This will actually help us get this great content out to more nonprofit leaders just like you. You can also join the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast community, find other resources and interviews of past guests all on my website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Well, thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep making your world better. This podcast is sponsored by DonorBox. DonorBox, helping you help others with the best donation forms in the business.